Family, we all have one. While some of us loved our growing up years, others of us couldn't wait to move out and start fresh. Either way, we all want our future family to be a step up from our families of origin. Most of us want something better for our children. But what does the ideal future for our family look like? Join us at Adventure Christian Church for a new series that explores God's perfect vision for your family. A vision that will leave a lasting legacy for generations to come. So last week we started this series called Future Family. Uh, My name is Jeremy Jones. I'm one of the pastors here. And last week we started this series that we kind of adapted from another pastor named Andy Stanley. Taking a look at the difference between oftentimes what we have in our minds is what our family is going to be and then what the reality of our family actually is. And so we said starting last week and then this week and for a couple more weeks, we're just going to take a look at, okay, how do you bridge the gap between what you thought was going to happen with family and then what's actually turned out? And if you think back about it, all of us had an idea of what we thought relationships would look like before we actually got into them. Like, guys, do you remember before you actually got married what you thought marriage was going to be like? You're like, hey, I get to live with her seven days a week. That means there's seven nights for romance. And you're like, I just know it'll be like, you're like you had this idea of like, I bet the only thing she wears after eight o'clock comes from Victoria's Secret. I just know that's what it's going to be. You had this idea in your head of how it was going to go. And then there was this reality where she introduced you to these things called comfy PJs. And you're like, wait, what? That didn't come, you know? Or, or ladies, you remember when you thought that your husband would have this incredibly high-paying job that he would somehow magically get off at at like 4.30 and then he'd come home? And the very first thing he would do, because he wouldn't have any other work to do, it, he would be able to leave all of his work at work. And he would come down and he would say, hey, tell me all about your day. Tell me all about your job. For the next 90 minutes... I want to do nothing but listen and give you a foot massage. And that's how it would go. And then you got introduced to this thing called football. And you got introduced to this thing called, I only have 25 words I use per day. And 30 of them were used at work, so I've got negative five for you. And you just thought, you just had this, there was the ideal, and then there was the real. Or if you guys have had kids, remember when you thought that before you had a kid, that when you had a kid, it was going to be like, okay, well... It'll be a quick and easy, painless birth. And then we'll bring this little bundle of joy home to this this baby room that was designed by, like, the best designer on earth. All, everything matches, everything color coordinates. And the baby will sleep for about a year or two quietly, you know. And then it'll be somehow magically turn into this toddler who says really cute things. And every moment with our family is Instagrammed, you know. That was the ideal that you had. And then the real was, oh, wow. We've got nine months to get ready for this. Actually, we've only got, you know, seven. And so you start trying rapidly to get everything ready to go, and you you have a baby shower, and you get a bunch of gifts, and none of them really quite match, but it's okay because it's stuff you don't have to buy now. And you bring the kid in, and then sleep, it becomes like a unicorn. It's like, I've heard of those. I don't think it's real, you know? And it's like, you're just so exhausted, and then your kid becomes a toddler, and instead of saying really, really cute things, they, they swear in front of the nursery worker, and you're like, oh my gosh. You know, there was the ideal, and then there was the real. And then your kids get a little bit older, and you're like, you have this idea, like, I know grandma and grandpa are just going to want to babysit every Friday and Saturday. They're going to want to give us a date night. 
And when we drop them off, they're going to be like, hey, you guys are such better parents for your kids than we ever were for you. You know, like you had this idea in your head of that's how it's going to go. And then you ask grandma and grandpa to babysit and they're like, no, we're glad you guys are gone. You know, we're going here. We're going there. We're going there. And then finally they do agree and you bring, they come over to your house. And the very first thing they do is like, hmm, not real clean here, is it? And you're like, yeah, yes, mom, I know. Or yes, mother-in-law, I know. And they're like, you know, I've been thinking, you let little Susie have way more freedom at her age than I think is healthy. And you're like, okay. And you get like a 15-minute lecture. You had the ideal, and then you had the real. And so for a lot of us, when we start talking about this idea of God's perfect vision for our family, we think back to all the other ideals that we've had. And if we're not careful, what we do is we take what we see in the scriptures and we take what we see Jesus and the New Testament writers talk about. And we're like, yeah, okay. I've heard stuff like this before. And what we do is we take the ideals of scripture and we take the ideals that we used to have and we put them all in the same category. And we're like, that's just not realistic. I've given up on that kind of stuff because it never actually works out. It never actually happens. And so you just said, I'm not even going to mess with any of it. And if that's where you're at today, you're in a good place. Because what we're going to look at today and what we're going to talk about today is something that can actually happen. It's not this fantastic idea that's unattainable. It's not this thing that's like completely unrealistic. It's something that actually can work. It's something that you can actually do in your families. And so what we're going to be looking at today and what we're going to be walking through is a verse in a letter called Ephesians. And there was this guy named Paul, and he was an early follower of Jesus. And what he would do is he would go around, primarily in the Mediterranean area, and he was telling people, okay, you've believed in Jesus. Here's how you live this out. Here's how you live like a Jesus follower. Here's what it looks like to live like Jesus in your normal day-to-day life. And he writes this letter to this church in this town called Ephesus, explaining to them what does it look like to follow Jesus in your everyday life. It was a town called Ephesus. That's where we get the term Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, there is a verse that if you take it and live it out, it will totally transform the way your family operates. And so if you're someone here today who's given up on family, you've given up on relationships, you're like, I'm done with him, I'm done with her, I'm done with them, I'm just, it's just gone too far, there's no hope, this verse can start to unpack how you get back to a good place. So in Ephesians 5.21, here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It almost seems like there should be more, right? Like, wait, wait, that's it? That's it, Jeremy? That's all you've got for me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, don't judge the power of a verse by how many words it has or how complicated it is to understand. Because if you can learn to live this particular verse out, it will transform your relationships. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Okay. Submitting to one another means that you begin to recognize something that you've always known in the back of your head, but that you don't like. Submitting to one another means that you can't control anyone else. And most of our problems in our relationships come because we had an idea of how they should go, And we tried to control everyone and move them towards that idea. I thought my wife should be like this. 
And so I tried to control her and make her like this. I thought my husband should be like this. I thought my parents should be like this. I thought my kids should be like this. I thought my extended family should be like this. And I tried to control and force them into this image. And then when, they didn't, it, when it didn't work, there was this tension. There was this anger. There was this distancing. And a lot of the problems in our relationships come because we tried to control somebody and force them into what we thought they should do. They didn't do it. And now we're in this kind of either open hostility or maybe some of you guys have just adopted a ceasefire where no one's really happy, no one's really getting along, but you're like, you know what, it's, I don't even have the energy to fight anymore. And so we're just going to say, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And what this verse says, submit to one another, is that it's, the very first thing it says is, you can't control anybody. You can't even really control your kids. I mean, you can guide them, you, but you can lead them. But at the end of the day, whether or not they choose to obey is kind of up to them. And so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, when we submit to each other, what we're doing is we're taking the focus off of ourselves. We're saying, okay, yeah, I know I had an idea of what I thought you should do. I know I had an idea of how I thought you should act and you should live. But instead, I'm going to put the focus and attention on you. I'm going to submit to you. And the question comes up, okay, how do you submit? Like, what does that mean? Like, okay, I get the term submit to one another, but what does that actually look like in real life? What is it, how do you submit to one another? You ask one simple question. And, and pay attention now, because if, you, if you've been, like, nodding off or anything like this, this is, pay attention for the next 35 seconds, and then you can go back to sleep. There's one question that if you ask this, and you actually mean it when you ask it, it will change the way your family goes. One simple question, and it's not earth-shattering, but it can change a lot. The one question everyone in a family needs to ask each other is simply this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? When you honestly ask this question, you're going to open up a whole new world for your relationships. The very nature of this question takes the focus off of you and puts it onto them. What can I do to help? Parents, imagine if your students came up and started asking you this. Like, your jaw would hit the floor. You have this 13-year-old, you have this 15-year-old, and they come up to you and they're like, hey, mom, dad, what can I do to help today? It would blow your mind. You'd be like, wait, what? What do you really want? What's going on? Or if you went and asked your wife, hey, what can I do to help? You asked your husband, what can I do to help? You asked a brother, you asked a sister, what can I do to help? See, so much of us, so many of us have gotten so used to everyone else just trying to get from us that we're not used to anyone trying to give. Most of the time, what we do is we compete to see how bad our life is. Well, I can't make dinner tonight. My, I have had to work 10 extra hours this past week on a project that wasn't even supposed to be mine. You should make dinner. And then it's like, well, no, you should make dinner because you don't understand. I've had this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, and I had to go pick the kids up from this. And we try to t- compete to say, who has it worse? Who should serve me? And when you start to say, how can I help? You're putting all of the time and energy that you were, you're using to pull people towards you and saying, hey, I'm putting it back on you. What can I do to help? When you ask this question, what you're acknowledging is, yeah, I get it. Life is hard, and life is busy, and life is also not all about me. What can I do to help? I understand you've got a busy life just like I've got a busy life. You have hard days just like I have hard days. What can I do to help? Now, there's a really good reason we don't ask this question. 
what if they say yes? <laughs> like, what if they actually give me something to do? I don't want to go ask my wife, what can I do to help? Because all of a sudden, then I'm cleaning out the garage. Or I'm not getting to watch TV. Or I'm not getting to do this. Or, you know, if I ask my kids, what can I do to help? All of a sudden, I'm stuck with six hours of Legos and stepping on things. Or, you know, if I ask him, what can I do? To... We're afraid to ask this question because what this question exposes is our selfishness. We don't want to get away from what we want to do. We want to set every, everybody serve us, but to, have, to, have our, to give up our time, our energy to serve someone else, we don't want to do this because we're afraid of the very thing that we might hear back. We don't want to get this kind of answer. But the problem is, is that we know where this kind of thinking takes us, okay? Like, logically, you can follow this out pretty well. If you make everything about you, if life, if you continue to make life all about you, eventually all you're left with is you. We know people like this. It's always about them. It always has to be done their way. If you don't do what they say, they don't care. And if, if you continue to do this, if you continue to make life all about you, eventually all you're left with is you. Your kids grow up, and when they hit 18, they are more than happy to never see you again. Your spouse sticks around, maybe, maybe not, maybe they leave, or maybe they just decide, well, you know what, I'm just gonna, this is my roommate that I don't really talk to. Your family doesn't return your calls, because everyone knows it's always going to be about you. And no one wants to wind up in this place. No one wants to wind up and says, yes, I want to destroy all the relationships around me. I, I hope that I die alone. No, one's, no one says that. But then our actions kind of lead towards that because we continually want everyone to do what we want them to do. And when, we, when they don't do it, we get angry, we get mad. And if it's always about you, that's what you're going to be left with eventually is you. My dad was a pastor, and I remember him talking about the saddest funerals that he had to do. And he said the saddest funerals were not the ones where it was like a beloved member of the community and, you know, a huge family and friends gathered and everyone was sad to see this great person. He said the saddest funerals were the ones where everyone was just trying to get it over with. One or two people show up, and it's like, good riddance. He's finally gone. She's finally gone. You know, and, and it's, there's, not, there's no tears of sadness. There's no, there, if there are tears, they're tears of anger. Like, you did so much damage your whole life. And we don't, we instinctively, we don't want to be those kind of people. We know that there's a better way. But most of us just don't understand it. I said before that there's usually this gap between the ideal and then the real. And so what most of us try to do is we try to pull someone into our ideal. Here's what I want my wife to be like. Here's what I want my husband to be like. Here's what I want my kids to be like. And we're pulling them closer to us. And no one likes to have their arm yanked and arm pulled on, so what do they do? Instinctively, they yank back and they increase the gap. And so over time, the gap gets wider and wider and wider because we keep pulling on each other and then pushing back. And when we say, what can I do to help? Instead of trying to pull someone closer to me, when I say, what can I do to help? I'm taking a step closer to them. Yes, there is a gap between the ideal and the real. But instead of asking them to bridge the gap, I take the responsibility of bridging the gap. What can I do to help? Because for you, the biggest thing on your mind right now is I have... X amount of stuff to get done before Friday, and I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And when I say, what can I do to help? I'm stepping into your reality and helping you make it an ideal 
one. I'm stepping in and saying, okay, I've been given some few things. I've been given some influence. I've been given some power. I've been given some of this. How can I use what I have for your benefit? I mean, if you ever go to marriage counseling, they'll talk about this all the time. Instead of trying to control your spouse, serve your spouse and see how much you actually get in return. It's a very simple concept. Step into the gap. Don't try to pull people into the gap. Now, here's the deal. You're going to end up doing stuff you don't want. I wish I could tell you that if you ask this question, your spouse or your child or your parent will just be so happy. They'll be like, oh, no, there's nothing that you can do. I'm glad you just asked. You know, like that's what we really kind of secretly hope. You know, maybe you're that person that's figured out, I'll wait till she's almost done with the dishes. And then I'll be like, you need any help with the dishes? No, 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 I've already got it. And you get credit for asking. Maybe you're that kind of person. I'm not saying I've ever done that, but just maybe somebody has. You know, if we actually ask this question, we are going to end up doing stuff we don't want. It's going to expose the selfishness in our heart. We're going to be doing things that are like, that are not fun. It's never fun, really, to help someone else out. If it were, you wouldn't have to ask. You would just do it. Okay? But here's the deal. The reward for helping in ways you don't want is that you get a family you do want. Let me say that again. The reward for helping in ways you don't want is that you get a family that you do want. The hard work I'm putting in to these relationships, the reward is I actually get to be around people who like me and that I like. And you go back to those, and then when you think about it, go back to those early days of the relationship. When you were so excited to be around him or be around her, and it's like you thought of ways to make them happy. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to rearrange my schedule. Sure, okay, you know, I'm going to college here. She's going to college there. It's only a short four-and-a-half-hour drive. We can easily do this. We'll see each other, you know, and now it's like, will you, will you hand me the remote? And you're like, oh, my gosh, the remote's at least seven feet away. I can't get up. You're about equally distant. You get it, you know. Over time, our selfishness increases. But the reward for doing the things you don't want is that you get a family you do want. Now, here's the deal. This works whether you are a Christian or not. This principle works whether you believe in Jesus or not. But for those of us that follow Jesus, we have an additional reason for doing this. And it's in the second half of that verse, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Why do we submit to one another? Oh, because there was this guy named Jesus, and he took a look at the world, and he said, okay, there's all these people who are really far away from me relationally. Now, I can stay here in heaven and do literally nothing and be right about it because I haven't done anything wrong. I'm Jesus. Or what I can do is I can go to earth and I can bridge the gap myself. And I can go and serve people. I can go and show people a better way to live. I can go so much as, so far as to die on their behalf. Because that's what it's going to take to bridge the gap in the relationship. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because Christ did this first. It kind of puts doing the dishes in perspective, right? I mean, most of the time, I, I, I've never gone to my wife and said, Honey, what can I do to help? And she's like, you need to die for me. No, uh, okay, like, that's never been the answer, and probably for most of us it never will be. But that's the point that Jesus was willing to go to, to bridge the gap in our relationships. And just think for a second, what if we just started living like Jesus? For those of us that are Christians, we submit to one another because 
Jesus did so himself. Out of reverence for Jesus, we do this ourselves. What would begin to change in your family? What would begin to change with your husband, your wife, your kids, your in-laws, whoever? What would begin to change if you really started to ask and follow this question? What can I do to help? See, for some of us, we've, we've given up on an ideal. Like years and years ago, someone held up a picture and it was a, a mom and a dad and, you know, 1.7 kids and they were all smiling And then life told us that that would never be our picture. Life told us, no, sorry, you don't get that perfect family. You get a really jacked up family with an uncle that nobody talks about and a marriage that crashed and burned and a kid that doesn't really seem to ever smile except for when he's doing something crazy. And you're like, I don't have the perfect picture for my family. And what this question does is it says, okay, yeah, you're right. None of us have the perfect picture. None of us can hold up this awesome frame. But we can have an ideal family. We can have a family that loves each other and cares for each other. We can have a family that's glad to be around each other. And yeah, it doesn't ever look like the photo advertisement, and it never will. And so we can let go of the fake picture, and we can embrace the real picture that's found in Jesus Christ, that's found in loving each other and serving each other and caring for each other. We can let go of trying to fit everyone into the perfect little mold that we had. And we can start serving and loving them as they are. And when you do that, your family starts to flourish. Because there's no pressure to perform anymore. I'm loved for who I am. I'm loved for who you... I love you because of who you are. And when I serve you, I'm reinforcing the fact that God loves you too. What can I do to help? If you would pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know there's someone in this room today that's, that's given up on the idea that their family could ever be anything better than what it currently is. And Lord, my prayer for them is that they would simply begin to bridge the gap by asking this question. Lord, my prayer even before that, though, is, Lord, if they don't know you as Savior, that today would be the day that they stop living a life that's a disappointment. They stop living a life that's not led them anywhere they want to go. But instead, Lord, that they would turn their life over to you. You came and submitted and gave your life for us. Lord, my prayer is that we would do the same and turn around and follow you. And so, Lord, for every one of us, all of us have relationships. All of us have a family. All of us have people that we struggle to get along with. Lord, my prayer is that we begin to ask this question and simply say, what can I do to help? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.